Hi, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs, and lots of great Duran Duran memories. From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015, and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021, the Duran Duran Albums podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band. We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record. And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects. So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word, and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. Paul, welcome back. We are now on the 11th album of Duran Duran, Astronaut. How exciting. I have to say, I've been really looking forward to doing this one, but also feeling a little bit weird about it because Astronaut was my reintroduction back to Duran Duran after a long time. Um, Obviously, this is the, the reunion album. I think some people have called it bringing the Fab Five back together after so many years. And uh, my goodness, was I excited about it all. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, I kind of, you know, it's the, you mentioned the 11th studio album, you kind of feel that we're in the home stretch, because we're obviously into the, the 21st century, and as you said, the, the five of them getting back together for that, which I think at the time, I think took everybody, but it certainly took me by surprise, that it suddenly seemed to come out of nowhere, because, you know, we'd gone down to the bare bones of just Simon and Nick, and then all of a sudden, there was a kind of... Uh, you know, you wait, you wait several years for, for a tailor to turn up and all three turn up at the same time. <laughs> I love the story of the origins of it all. It was, uh, no, was it Simon and John that were sitting around a pool in L.A.? And they're like, hey, let's get the band back together. And they started just calling out to the, to the rest of them. And I, I saw a story um, from Roger that uh, he'd kind of started dipping his toe back into the music scene a little bit. And uh, he had got a call from, from John. And he was thinking, oh, it's just going to be about, um, you know, royalties or some management of, of the back catalog or whatever. So he rang him up and he said he was like totally shocked when they, they floated that idea of getting back together. But yeah, it must have just been one of those moments where the stars aligned. Maybe the Cosmopolitans were flowing nicely for, for the group of them. And I thought, what the hell? Or maybe it was just their uh, their pension pots were running a little bit low and they thought, oh, we better earn some pennies now. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I think, because obviously they didn't even have a record deal when they when they all get back together again. And I wonder, they were going to go one or two ways after Pop Trash, either Simon and Nick, where they just said, right, let's just call it a day. It's just not happening. Or it had to take something like this to give them some, to sort of re-energise them and to do something different and maybe give them a sense of purpose again and the fact that you get all the five of them and probably even for that short two, three years, however long it was, they were together and writing music and recording music. There was maybe just, it must have been amazing for them because it would have taken them right back to the early 80s and, you know, the reason why they started the band and how exciting it was right at the start. And, you know, the fact that 
you know, I think they were pretty prolific in terms of songwriting. And I think we've only, you know, scratched the surface in terms of Astronaut and some of the other songs we've heard of maybe all the songs that they produced during that time that, that obviously there was that excitement. It kind of tails off, obviously, you know, Andy then leaves again and the, the four of them remain. But it must have been, I think, from their point of view, it must have been great for them to go into work, as it were, every day and, you know, being back with their, their pals. Yeah, I think, you know, that, that had to have been the case when, you know, for, for so many years, you know, back in the early 80s, they were really a really tight unit. You know, I think they did everything together, basically. And then to have all that span of time to to go off and explore and become the adult musician, human beings that they that they became. And it must have been kind of a, a nervous time to get back into a room with a bunch of people that maybe you hadn't seen. And I don't know how long it would have been six, seven years for, for some of them, I guess. And I think, you know, what the hell is it going to be like? And, and then realizing that there was a, a reason why they, they got together in the first place and why they were so successful, because, you know, they just had a, such a, a great bond together. And as we talk through the record, you can see, you know, they had, I think they put together, they had 30 songs as they were, you know, through the course of working on the album. And um, like you said, you know, they, they didn't have a, a record label. So they thought, why not go out and tour it? just to drum up some interest and see if they can get a record label. So, you know, I think they, they had the, the, the years of experience behind them, but also they just, I think they must have had that, that renewed energy just to be together and playing again. Must have been awesome. Because I think it's funny, like, I think there's two sides of that coin. One is they get back together again and discover what it was that they, they loved about playing music together in the first place. But then after a certain period of time, the other side of that coin is that they discovered the personality clashes or clashes of musical, you know, the musical differences or whatever it was that, that caused them to split up or for band members to leave. Luckily, I think the other four, so obviously maybe Andy just wanted to go down a different road and, and there was always just seemed to be a bit of a, and not an edge, but just he never quite, he never got a feeling he quite fitted in with the rest of them. So he leaves, but the other four have realised they're onto something good. Because I would, you know, like everybody says that's the reunion album. For me, the actual... When I think of the proper reunion album, for me, it's actually all you need is now because that's the Duran Duran sound and they just kind of really went back to the kind of real sound and not quite replicated it because Astronaut is still, you can see the vibrancy in it compared to maybe Pop Trash, which was, there was a kind of deflation about that. But at the same time, I think that was them beginning to rehone their sound, which you kind of saw, I think, more with later albums. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, and we've talked about it in so many of the other podcasts where they went through a period of time where they just, they, they couldn't quite decide what they wanted to be, who they wanted to be. You know, did they want to just rely upon the hits of the past? Did they want to be part of the, the moment of time and, and music and, and that time and space? And it seemed like with, um, with Astronaut, just kind of like all bets were off. They're like, screw it. You know, we are who we are. We know the music we like to play. And, you know, I, again, we'll, we'll talk about this as, as we move through the tracks, but it sounds definitely like a Duran Duran album. But I don't think it necessarily sounds like that particular time in music, because I know uh, for some of the, the previous albums, I've tried to listen to things that were in the charts at the time and try to make comparisons where they trying to fit in to what was popular music. I didn't really get that with Astronaut. I can't remember listening to one of the songs and going, oh, yeah, that sounds like such and such. It is purely a Duran Duran album. And that was one of the things that I was kind of worried about with this one was because it did just dropped me right back into the thick of being an absolute Duran Duran fan. I mean, this was the, the time that I, that I got to uh, see their tours, did the VIP thing, got to meet the guys, 
which was absolutely amazing. So I was. Did I you was did you get to meet them? I don't think you've ever mentioned that before. Have I not ever mentioned that? I don't. It must have slipped my mind. <laughs> well, see, but funny. I was going to ask you actually because was it the fact that you know the the news that they were all they were reforming was that what brought you back into the fold? What was it that because you said you'd kind of you know they were obviously there in the background this you know music you'd, you'd like, but what was it brought you right back into the Duran Duran world? I've been trying to remind myself what it was, and I don't know if it was just because I had just, you know, it was kind of an undercurrent that I always kept my ear open for, for Duran Duran stuff. And then maybe it was just the fact when, when they announced that Roger was back in the fold and that was me back into it. <laughs> but, um, I obviously got right, right into it because, you know, they did a, a CD was, was kind of uh, snuck out. It went a little bit viral for them. And I'm sure I had that, that CD. I don't think that it was that widely available that I could have just gone into a record store and, and gone, oh, something new from Duran Duran. So I must have had to go out to seek it. And um, yeah, it just, it felt like they were great tunes. And then the tour came along and that was just amazing. You felt like you were like 16 again. I did. I felt like I was 16, but then again, I was like so proud of myself as well for being able to not faint or not scream like an absolute idiot during every song and that sort of stuff. So. That's what, you're telling, that's what you're telling us, anyway. Yeah, ask my sisters if that's actually the case when we went to the gigs. <laughs> <laughs> I may remember things a little bit differently. So, obviously, we've had, uh, we've done our usual trick of going out to Twitter and speaking to our, our listeners uh, to get some, some of their thoughts and opinions on, on Astronaut. So, shall we kick off with those then? Absolutely. Cool. I will kick off then. Um, first one. One of our usual listeners is Velvet Rebel Music. And he said, the excitement of the reunion was enough for me to buy it, but it was years before I finally appreciated the album. Wish I could have seen the tour. Andy is essential to their alchemy. Do you know what's really interesting about that comment? They did a few interviews to coincide with Future Past. And I think some, even some of the interviews, I remember seeing somebody saying that Don Brown was actually there sitting with them, while Simon or somebody else is saying that uh, Graham Coxon's the best guitarist I've ever had in the band and bring something new to it and I'm thinking fair enough that might be true but don't say it right in front of them I think there was definitely something when the five of them got together but as I say I what pleased me is the fact that the other four even when Andy left they realized that they were still able to do something special and that's what kept them going and we've had the benefits of that over the last 15 years or so so I think they were they were able to withstand him leaving again and just go on go from strength to strength the next comment is from Graham who says Remember that period more for Duran Duran getting some news coverage again, back on top of the pops, chat show appearances, etc. The album itself is good, but lacking a real highlight track. It's number 10 in my album list, 10 out of 15. Top three for him is Finest Hour, Point of No Return, and What Happens Tomorrow. These I'm going to read these two comments together because they are these two comments are absolutely wonderful. The first one is from it's a Twitter handle Tomorrow Drain, who says my son was 15 months old when Astronaut was released. He would get excited every time Sunrise played. And in a kind of similar vein, uh, another Twitter handle, Canada, as in the Duran Duran, Canada, 96, says, I sobbed like a baby the first time I saw all five of them on, the, on that tour in 2003. My son was born the month after Astronaut came out, so I have a lot of memories tied to that album, which I, I just think is brilliant. The, you know, you're associating that album and that band that you love with the next generation and new life. And it's kind of, it's, I suppose, a family memory as it were. Absolutely. And, you know, this just goes back to how 
evocative music can be for everybody to to bring about memories from their past. You know, for me, it was it was about rejoining my my Duran Duran fandom, and then for Tomorrow's Rain in Canada to think about you know their, their personal histories with their children. This is what music is all about, and that's the reason why we got started doing this podcast, wasn't it? To relive our memories and and you know just celebrate what what what, what a great band they are. So that's fantastic. The next one up we have is from Nick Thompson. They say, this is my number five. I'm a crunchy guitar-based rock dad at heart and had sorely missed that influence in the previous two releases, despite Warren's input. Sunrise is a fan sing-along favorite, and What Happens Tomorrow is my high point. But there are some stinkers too, bedroom toys and chains. And Nick, no spoilers here, but I have to agree with you on bedroom toys. I think most people will, will uh, agree. Because <laughs> especially when you, you mentioned that they, I think they'd recorded something like 30 songs and I think you're going to mention some of the, the other songs that we know of that didn't make it onto the album, which are, you know, by a country mile better than Bedroom Toys. So maybe whoever was helped to choose, choose the track list, they could have maybe chosen one or two different songs and dropped Bedroom Toys. The comment from Russell W, he says, I still enjoy Astronaut quite a bit. It may not have been the greatest reunion album of all time. That would be their 2010 album, All You Need Is Now. I totally agree with you, Russell. But it's still a great deal of fun and gave us hope when we needed it most. What was going on in 2004? I, I don't remember it being a trying time, but maybe that was Russell's personal life. There you go. Next one on is Strider Tag, Married Without Children, yet. It's a return to glory for Duran Duran as reunion benefited them as a whole. Only do- downside was how Warren was fired. Anyway, I love the lounge feeling of this album and it makes me think of Jamiroquai. Reach Up for the Sunrise is very uplifting. My only complaint is that Roger's drums sound kind of diluted, but it may be only me. Best songs, Sunrise, of course, Astronaut, One of Those Days, and Still Breathing. Worst song, Want You More, but it's not bad, just the weakest for me. I know many people hate bedroom toys. Gary J. Carroll says, I love this album. Want You More, Chains, Still Breathing are my tops. I could have done without Taste of Summer and Bedroom Toys, but included Beautiful Colours and Salt in the Rainbow, Rainbow instead, which I, I think a lot of people would agree with you, Gary. He also says Electric, Wembley and Birmingham shows. I didn't go to the, uh, to the Wembley show, but it was the Birmingham show. Uh, I think that was the first gig that I saw of that tour, and it was just amazing. Yeah, it was, it was just such a, a great, great gig. So I totally agree with Gary on, on that one. And uh, he mentioned a couple of the, the tracks, Beautiful Colors and Salt in the Rainbow, that I think were on that, that leaked CD. Those were two of, of the songs that should have been included rather than Bedroom Toys. Then on to um, another one of our Twitter followers, Welchuffed Rick. Sunrise was a great comeback single. It appealed to the old audience and was catchy enough to gain them new fans as well. The album is a great blend of um, future past it's a pity they lost momentum with Red Carpet Massacre, but they have previous with that, don't they? And I think that's a really good point. And you were, you were mentioning it there as well, that Duran Duran seemed to have this flaw in their, in their DNA that they just can't seem to help themselves. They always seem to have to include a clinker or two on their albums. I don't know that we have, apart from maybe the first two albums, I think most of the albums that we have talked about, there's always one or two at least that kind of fall flat I mean it's I, I think it's hard to maintain every because some songs you prefer to other ones 
Rick's Benchins Red Carpet Massacre. I'm really looking forward to that podcast because I think that's an album that, for some of the reasons that kind of he hints at, that you know people were excited about the reunion and that sense of maybe they lost the momentum, which I think splits people. I'm not convinced that's the case. Maybe they did in terms of commercial sense, I don't know, but it's been one of the surprises for me, reacquainting myself with Red Carpet Massacre, actually. Another long-time listener and a friend of the podcast, Scott Parsons, says, Nice is actually one of my all-time fave Duran Duran songs. Virus was a great non-album special edition track, and it was great to have Andy back too. Scott always speaks such wise words, I think. I have to totally agree with everything that he says there. (laughs) Next one up we have is H uh, with the tag at Wisdom of Harry in Australia. Hey, Australia, how's it going? What a magical time for Durannies, especially for the ones that never left. From the reunion announcement to Astronaut's release, there was excitement and unforgettable events. Musically, though, Astronaut was a bit of a letdown. And for me, it sits near the bottom of their discography. I, I don't necessarily disagree with what he's saying, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Delisa, brackets cat lover without one, which I think is great, says astronaut holds a special place in my heart because of the Fab Five reunion. I remember dragging my sick self to Best Buy to buy the CD. High points, still breathing. Bedroom toys, though it was a throwaway song and I didn't like it after the first listen. I played it a couple more times and ended up loving the funky vibe. Also, nice Taste of Summer and Point of No Return. Low point, Astronaut. The reunion and this album helped me through a dark and depressing time and seeing them in concert all together fulfilled a fan dream. That could just be, you know, apart from the the favourites, highs and lows, uh, that whole point about seeing them in concert fulfilled a fan dream. That was exactly me because, you know, I, I found Duran Duran when I was a young teenager in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi. And there was just not a chance in hell that I was going to be able to get to a, a concert of theirs. And then as a 30-something-year-old, you know, in the early 2000s, that uh, I finally got to, to meet the boys, the men of my dreams, uh, was just, it was, it was a dream come true, definitely. Next uh, tweet up is from uh, Culture Kiosk. He says, the reunion and seeing Sunrise in the top 10 was surreal and made me feel old. But the naughties were not the best time for Duran Duran. However, Astronaut is the best of the three. High points, want you more, nice and finest hour. Lows, bedroom toys. The cover is abysmal too. I like my, uh, my, my tour pack that I've got. I don't even remember what the picture looks like. I just remember seeing all their autographs on the front of it. We had a late runner from our friend Lindsay. He had actually posted up on Twitter, Astronaut was a disappointing return for the Fab Five, in my humble opinion. The next album was much worse, mind. Come back, Warren, I said to myself. Some quite bland material. Very rarely listen to it bar three or four songs. So sorry, we're kind of like uh, leaving the Twitter comments on a a low note. I must admit, listening to to the album for this podcast is the first time I've listened to it for a while. And obviously we'll give our thoughts on each of the tracks. I actually think the opposite to to Lindsay. I think Red Carpet Massacre is a better album, actually. I don't know Red Carpet Massacre too well. But the, the bits that I, I have listened to, I think I would probably agree. You know, I, I kind one of my overriding thoughts about Astronaut is I don't know if it's tinged too much with nostalgia for me. So I'll, it always holds a special place in my heart from that perspective. But as far as being like an album that I go, oh, yeah, this was absolutely friggin amazing. I don't think that would be 
the phrase that I would use for it. But um, before we start waxing lyrical on, on our overall thoughts of the album, shall we uh, start diving into the, to the individual tracks? Let's go for it. Let's do it. So first one, I think, was the first single off the album, Reach Up for the Sunrise. What were your thoughts on this one? Well, as you know, as everybody knows, I like a good opening track. And this is a good opening track. You know, I think Pop Trash, I think it was better than maybe people thought, but I think there was not a despondency, but a sense of almost they were kind of winding down. I think there was a vibrancy about Astronaut, certainly in some bits, particularly I think in this song, as if it was almost a celebration of the reunion. And I also love, I think there's a a live version, is it Jason Nevin's version, which they've opened tours with before. And they'll sometimes play that live, which I think is brilliant. I think this is a, a really, really good song. I think it was an absolute cracker of a song to, to get the whole we're back kind of vibe going on. And it just, it literally, you do what the song says. You just reach out for the sunrise. That's just what you want to do as soon as the song comes on. So, you know, I think it's a great energetic song and, and it really does, it just stamps that, yeah, mofos, we are back. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the way that I look at it. But yeah, I think, I think it was a great way to, to kick off the album. Then we move on to the second track, Want You More. This one I really liked because it had a bit more of an um, acoustic guitar from Andy, I guess. The phrase that I've put in my first line, toe tapper. Now, do I sound like a geriatric from saying that? One? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great song. And, you know, it carried along the, the momentum of, of the, first, the first track, I think. Yeah, I quite like it as a song, actually, that seemed to even in the Twitter comments splits some people mentioned it as a song they didn't particularly like i think this is one where you can definitely hear andy's influence on the song and actually what it made me think was you know that they got together i think it was 2001 and started playing again together and starting to record and starting to write it made me think of it must have been fascinating to see how that dynamic worked because you know it wouldn't have been like the dog just instantly get back together and it was as if they'd never been away because i think they'd have had to re-established their kind of place in the band and their influence and you always get that feeling that whether it was conflict just musically or whatever between Andy and Nick because they're coming at it from two totally different perspectives of the kind of electronic synth keyboard viewpoint of Nick and the more hard rock guitar of Andy and when that merges together when it works it works really well but I sometimes wonder if it took them a while to maybe that's why they wrote so many songs because it just it took them a while to ease back into the way they worked. Yeah, and I and I watched a couple of um, documentary clips on on YouTube doing the, the research for this one, and I think there was a lot of that feeling of kind of having to position. Each of them had to position back where did they fit in in the whole scheme of things, and and I don't think anybody can deny the fact that that Nick and, and Andy are quite opinionated when it comes to music because they're such so passionate. So is John, I think. But yeah, that must have been some very interesting initial conversations and I think from the documentaries that I watched that it sounds like that none of them had mellowed they were still very much opinionated and and were wanting to get their points across but it's just like I guess in the other relationship opposites attract and you know you end up getting the best out of both of those sides and this is what what comes up you know a, a pretty darn fine album then we've got the second single that was released what happens tomorrow again this whole album for me, it just, I must have listened to it a bazillion times when it came out. 
because it had been a good wee while since I had listened to the album. But as soon as I put it on to start doing my, my notes for this, I knew all the words. It was still coming like dead easy and just going, oh, yeah, I remember this one. And, it, and again, it just brought about all the memories back from that time. And, you know, it's still a great tune, I have to say. I, I think this is one of the best songs in the album, actually. And again, I think I think it's quite a reasonably strong opening to the album. And I, I really like this song, actually. I think it's I think it's an excellent song. The first song I think was great. Second song I thought was good. Third song, back to being great again. So I was quite pleased when I started listening to it and, and, and kind of reacquainting myself with it again of how much I was actually enjoying the music. And then we have the album titled Astronaut. And uh, apparently this was Simon's favourite off the album. He called it pure Duran Duran, frivolous and fun. I have to agree that uh, the, the, the line that I had put on it, some of the old Duran Duran oomph is back. And it's just, yeah, it's a great rocking Duran Duran track. At the risk of, of repeating myself, I always, you know, I, I love the acoustic guitar start to this song. So I was instantly hooked anyway. So I, it's, a, you know, it's another favourite of mine. I think it's a really good song. Somebody actually in the comments, I can't remember who it was, mentioned that it was, it was one of the low points for them in the album, which again is just obviously it's all about opinions. There is one bit in the song but that I, I absolutely hate. And see that bit where they kind of they kind of slow it down, and it, there's a line in it. And I know I'm not really big on the lyrics, but there's a line where he, he mentions falling like the twins. See, from the day I've heard that, it really jars with me because obviously they would have written it at some point after 9/11, so they were they would kind of reformed in 2001. So at some point, and it, well, the song I don't really know what the song's about, but it was obviously that for me that was like a kind of reference to that, and it just it jars with me. I don't know why why that line's in. It doesn't seem to have any relevance, but it jars with me because I think is that that's a reference to that. But why? So every time, even now when I hear it, it really grates on me. Isn't it funny though how it can just be like something that's a single line out of, out of a song that can just kind of wipe things out for you? Fair enough. I, no, I still really like the song, but if they just if I was editing it myself, I'd just cut that bit out. <laughs> it saved me any uh, distress. Well, we wouldn't want that to happen, Paul. But speaking of causing us distress. <laughs> Next one up is uh, Bedroom Toys. My first comment on this one, stupid lyrics. I even remember at the time, I can't even remember what the line is, but it's just so pants. And then again, I saw an interview uh, with, I think it was Simon, John and Nick. They were, it was a, a radio interview that they were doing and they were talking about Bedroom Toys. And I assume like, you know, when, when a band releases an album, that it's their fresh brand new baby. So they love everything about it. Of course, they're going to love it because they're just, they've been living, breathing it, that, that sort of stuff. But they were really digging on, on how cool the song was and how they had a great time doing it. But I just, what a load of shite. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a poor song. What, it's, what it struck me is, and again, going back to that whole thing about them writing so many songs, that it should have just stayed as a demo and a song that maybe they were just getting back in the groove, they were, you know, Simon comes up with these stupid lyrics and they just think, well, that's fine, we'll just mess about with that. But the idea that they have all these songs and that makes it onto the top 12 is just ludicrous because it's all, I mean, it is, everything about it is just, I mean, there can be very few people, there's maybe one or two who actually like it. And I think if, if we didn't know there was all these other songs that they had opted not to put in the album then you would say well is that them just getting back into it? that was that was the best of the bunch but you know for a fact 
that wasn't, you know, that song in particular. People could argue about other songs that should have been in or shouldn't be in. That song in particular, there was much better songs that you should have put on the album. And if that had kind of came out as one of the other 30, I don't think people would have bothered so much about it. They'd have went, oh, it's okay. And I can see why it didn't make it onto the album. It's the fact that it did that kind of puzzles me, to be honest. Yeah, and um, I noticed on the uh, production notes that Nile Rogers had a bit of a hand in it to begin with. And I just wonder if maybe it was more of a sentimental thing because his name doesn't crop up too often, but I know that he was kind of there in the early demos. So I just wonder if maybe it was them trying to just be sentimental that they really like working with him. So they would, so they stuck it in there, but I just thought it was such a number one, there was a bit too much of the whole Simon rappy talky vibe to it, which I've never liked. It was kind of a, a fake funk vibe to it as well that I, that graded on me. And I wonder if maybe that was, that was the beginning of um, Niall's influence on it. But then if you step back from it, they tried to carry it forward and it just wasn't genuine and authentic to me. A low point, I think. Definitely. But, you know, nobody's perfect. Then we move on to uh, the last track of the, of the first half of the album. Nice. Now, I know in the, the Twitter comments, I think a couple of people weren't particularly big fans of Nice. But this is probably one of my most favorite tracks on the album. I just thought it was just a really catchy chorus. It was the third single off the album, so I, I guess it maybe got a, a, a few more listens uh, than just a, a standard track album. But um, again, this being a very nostalgic album for me, I remember cruising down Pacific Coast Highway, you know, with the top down. This was the sort of music that I played. And actually, when I was over here in the UK, I had a convertible at the time, and I remember on the rare nice days that we would have I would have the top down having that blasting and yeah those are some great memories nice (laughs) (laughs) I I really like this song I think it's quite uplifting and I'm kind of going against the grain of what I normally say about how I don't really pay attention to lyrics because I've already flagged up I hate that that one line in Astronaut there's a couple of bits in where Simon says there's nothing better than being with you and I'm feeling so nice there's nowhere better than here with you and it's feeling so nice and that particularly when I re-listened to it for this, it kind of struck me that he was singing that to the rest of the band, that actually it was a song that was saying, do you know what, see the five of us being in this studio or rehearsal room, it's really nice and it's, you know, and you think of, you know, they've got all that history and they ha- this is the first album they're recording since 1983, since Seven the Ragged Tiger. Do you know, it's really nice just the five of us being back. And I, I, that's, that's the feeling I got as if he was, he was just celebrating the fact he was, they were all back together again. Yeah. And, and, you know, you saying that makes me think of anniversary from future past, you know, mm-hmm. that I, I always felt as soon as that was released, that it was, it was kind of a Simon's thank you to the fans and to the rest of the band. So yeah, you know, maybe it shows that Simon truly does love and respect the other band members and, and fans and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really cool point that you bring out there. Well, listen, we've waited all these episodes until I managed to do that. So Absolutely. Excellent. Well, that brings us, as I said, um, to the end of the first half of the album. And it's time for part 13 of the Duran Duran story, as told by Paul's lovely, long-suffering daughter, Rebecca. (laughs) So thanks again, Rebecca, for for doing this for us. And um, let's have a listen.
the story of Duran Duran. Part 13. After the commercial and critical disappointment of Duran Duran's 10th studio album, Pop Trash, fans might have been forgiven for believing that the end was coming for their favourite band. However, what happened next took everyone by surprise and generated much anticipation for their new album when it came out in September 2004. In 2001, a year after Pop Trash's release, Duran Duran announced a reunion of the original lineup with the three Taylors, John, Roger and Andy, joining up again with Simon Le Bon and Nick Rhodes. To say that it caused tremors of excitement in the Duran Duran world would be an understatement. The Fab Five spent the next two years writing and recording songs for what would become the Astronaut album. It was a productive time for the band, with plenty of great songs not making it to the final recording. They also embarked on a world tour in 2003, a decision made, in part, to illustrate Duran Duran's enduring popularity for would-be record labels, given that the band did not have a record deal at that time. When they did sign for Epic Records, Duran Duran released Astronaut in 2004, the first album by the original five since Seven and the Ragged Tiger back in 1983, and the new album reached number three in the UK and number 17 in the US, while the first single, Reach Up for the Sunrise, got to number five in the UK singles chart. However, before the year was out, five would become four as Andy Taylor took a step away from Duran Duran once again. Thanks again, Rebecca, for that one. So now we're on to the second half of the album and we're up to track number seven, Taste the Summer. Now, I've already said that Nice is probably one of my favorite tracks of the album, but I think Taste the Summer is, again, another favorite of mine. Just like it, the name says on the tin, it is just so evocative of summertime for me. Again, just those good sunshine summer vibes. Do you think the fact that you were listening to that album while we were driving up and down the Pacific Highway helped because I'm sure I would. I'm sure even if I listened to Adele while I was driving in a convertible up and down the Pacific Highway, I might change my opinion over. I bet it wouldn't. I bet you'd be so <laughs> anti Adele that nothing would help you ever fall in love with that one. <laughs> I think this is okay. Doesn't provoke any extreme emotions in me of either really liking it or really disliking it. I, I think it's solid enough, but yeah, it's yeah, that's about that's about all I wrote about it. It's okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I suppose I'm a bit of a sucker for um, Simon's doo-doo-doos, and uh, he gives it in plenty of supply on Taste of Summer. So that's my excuse. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the next track up is Finest Hour. And uh, I thought this was kind of a, a nice, typical Duran Duran slow-tempoed song uh, that begins with a bit of keyboards from Nick. And uh, I think it's one of those that, that has really stood the test of time. Again, it's probably in my my top three on this album. What about you, Paul? I would say this is probably my favourite song on the album, actually. I, I really like this song. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it's very Nick-influenced, I think. You know, there's other songs where you can feel the influence, maybe of likes of Andy. I think it was very much, there's a real Duran Duran sound to it that kind of really roots them. I think some people did mention the fact that, you know, I think uh, there was one guy kind of said about the proper reunion album was later. All we need is now, but that is one of the songs where you can definitely see the really the five of them are really tapping into the sound that they originally created. I remember quite early on in the podcasts, just from own listening, I'd put a Spotify playlist together and I chose a, a track from each of the at the time the 14 albums, just 
what I thought at the time would be my favourite track. And I think Finest Hour was the one that I chose from Astronaut. And I don't think I would, having listened to it quite a few times now, I don't think I would change my opinion. So we've kind of had a little bit of up and down as far as what we're thinking of, of the tracks and that sort of thing. And I think the vibe of the album, I don't know if it's just a power suggestion, but with a name like Astronaut, in a lot of these these tracks, I've been thinking a little bit of a space agey vibe to it all, a bit, you know, out there kind of thing. And I think leading on from Finest Hour into the ninth track, Chains, I think we're, we're, we're kind of in a, in a slow vibe, a slow groove part of the album. And, and again, I think this is just another one of those classic Duran Duran slow tempo tunes that is just ace. And uh, the intro, I think John's bass playing is just John Taylor at some of his bass playing finest. Again, it's a good solid song. It doesn't blow you away, but I, f- I think it's it's a decent enough follow-on from Finest Hour. That's why I think, particularly having re-listened to the album a few times, it's maybe better than I actually thought it was at the time. But I don't know what I was expecting back when I listened to it. I can't remember now, but I don't know whether maybe like a lot of people, that excitement of the original five getting back together again that you were, you know, you were expecting it maybe just remake real. And so when that didn't sound like that, you're thinking, mm, not sure. And so I, it was not one of the albums I would return to over the years. But having listened back through it, I think there's a lot of really good songs on it that it maybe doesn't have real highs or real lows, but I think it's a pretty solid album. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good way to describe it because, I mean, you know, in the, the past three or four albums that we've gone over for Duran Duran, there has been some real highs and some real lows. And, you know, the, the overall outcome has been a bit 50-50, maybe more leaning towards the kind of the lows. Whereas this one, I kind of, the, the first re-listen that I had this time around, I was like, oh, I don't think I really like this. I think it has definitely been a rose-tinted glasses for me. But then I've listened to it now a number of times and I'm like, actually, it is a consistently good album. It's not anything that whacks you over the head with its amazingness, which I think has happened with Future Past. But likewise, I don't think that apart from Bedroom Toys, I don't think there are any real shitty points to the album. It's very steady and maintained. Whether that makes for an exciting album, I'm not so sure, but uh, I think it's definitely a classic. I agree with you. I think that's there's one really low point. And apart from that, I think it's a pretty high standard. Then we move on to the next track, One of Those Days. Apparently, this is one of uh, Nick's favorite tracks on the album. Don't quite know the reasons why, but there you go. To be honest, for me, it was a bit meh. You know, it has some of Andy's rocky guitar going on. That's cool and all that. But uh, yeah, just nothing special here for me. Would you know, this would surprise me because I'd seen that, that apparently, you know, as you said, Nick really liked that song and given that there is you know you can really hear Andy within that song I thought that was I was pleasantly surprised because you know again maybe just in my head I just thought maybe there was this constant conflict between guitar and sin but actually what Andy brings to the song or the band in terms of his guitar playing that actually as a musician Nick can appreciate and, and appreciates in, in a song like this because I think there's a kind of classic Duran Duran start to it. So again, it's, a, it's another song, which I think is a good song and, and I quite like it. And it's, you know, we had a, a number of the, uh, the Twitter comments this week was really highlighting about how great it was to have Andy back. I just, I don't know. I, I didn't miss Andy, to be perfectly honest. I guess maybe I was too focused on Roger. my boy Roger. <laughs> <laughs> 
and and the others that I don't know. I just I've always struggled to to figure out Andy's true place within Duran Duran, and maybe that was that was his place to be the outsider because he obviously did contribute so much musically to the albums. I get that, but I just um yeah. He's never been one of my favourites. It was interesting because I remember seeing a couple of interviews with the band and I think particularly in the early days because I think he was maybe a bit more experienced and proficient in terms of his musicianship in the early days that, you know, they're kind of almost, maybe the likes of John and and Nick are almost learning on the job and develop over the years. And so he needed somebody of Andy's experience to really take all those ideas and really give them direction. So I think certainly in those early years, I think he was a key figure. And maybe just as they've developed, they've been able, and they have been able to, without them, bring another guitarist and stuff like that. But I think certainly not kind of established that early Duran Duran sound. You can hear, I mean, particularly in that first album, he's absolutely key in that. Now we're moving on to track number 11, which is Point of No Return. Apparently, uh, Nick had, had said about this one that uh, it was recorded and remained in its entirety from the pre-production stage in France. He also added, to me, it's one of the most beautiful most beautiful moments on the astronaut album. So, you know, I think over the course of time with Duran Duran, they do love to tweak their songs, don't they? And I think the way they, they tend to build songs is they'll do a jam session and it just kind of grows and it gets produced and all this other kind of stuff. And they do multiple mixes of so many of their songs. So it's, it's interesting to see that this one, it stayed pretty much true to form from beginning to end. I don't know if you've watched the Beatles documentary, Get Back on Disney Plus, which is one of the greatest things I've ever watched in my life. It's just the most captivating, amazing, brilliant thing ever. And you know, we've said it before, if you don't like the Beatles, you've got your ears painted on. And when I was watching it, and there's a brilliant scene in it where basically you see Paul McCartney basically writing Get Back on a bass guitar while Ringo and George are watching him. And it says in the caption, within five minutes, what you see in the next five minutes is what will be the next Beatles song. And it's just extraordinary. But all throughout, you know, this documentary, I kept thinking of things like, I'd, I'd love to have, you know, say, for example, you know, that song or that album or like cameras to see like a band like Duran Duran, how they do, what the dynamics are within the studio, within the rehearsal room. And, you know, do they just all start jamming or does somebody come together, you know, just have a little bit of music or how does it all work? Or is it Simon's voice or a lyric or a melody? It fascinates me. And, and you know, getting to see like absolute musical geniuses that the Beatles were, firsthand and how they created music just out of out of absolutely nowhere that is kind of just part of our cultural life now it's the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen and I think you know that is precisely the reason why I have always loved music and loved being a follower of bands and that sort of thing I am always astounded by people's ability to create a work of art from absolutely nothing. And to be able to watch that sort of thing would just be mind-blowing, I think. Honestly, it is totally mind-blowing. In terms of point of no return, I think Simon's voice on this song is excellent. That's uh, one of the high points for me. You know, I'm just looking at my notes here and just to move on to the, the final track of the album, Still Breathing, I found a quote somewhere. That it looks like it was John Taylor who had actually said this. Quite early in the astronaut sessions, maybe session two, London, basic groove, soft sort of lounge, save a prayer. The Doors referenced, could be a single, Simon's words, trying times, 9-11, survival. So 
he absolutely was thinking about those sorts of things, you know, in, in these tracks. And then John goes on to say, we add the chorus, still thinking this could be a big song, the wife's favorite. The sound collage at the end, add an in mix. The song never really got any further. The version on the album lost energy, if anything, by too much time spent on it. Live, it's tricky, requiring a light touch. Sometimes it's beautiful, sometimes flat as a. So it obviously was very much informative that um, period of time on their writing. But it goes to show, you know, even the creative process can ebb and flow and who knows where it will end. You know, on any given day, sometimes it's good life, sometimes it's crap life. So, because I think this is a good final track. And again, it's another classic slow ballad, Duran Duran song. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, what you were just reading there about how, you know, whether it's they overworked it or whether over or under influence of the producer. Because that can, we've spoken about this before about how sometimes you just need some in the, an external pair of ears just to, to bring out something. Because they obviously, John's thinking they've, they've really they've stumbled onto something, but it just didn't, didn't it just eluded them from being a really good track to being what they maybe thought at one point, thinking, she's all over written something brilliant here. It's like, it must be like just kind of on the tip of their tongue. They know that there's something great there. They've got that little nugget and they just can't quite reach it. But interesting, you know, you, you mentioned about the uh, maybe it was the producer. Uh, I think the majority of the tracks on this album were done by, is it? Don or Dan Gilmore and Dallas Austin. But I had noticed that um, this final track, Still Breathing, is also attributed to somebody called Mark Tinley. That's the first time that name crops up on, I think, on the album. So maybe it was just this other producer coming in out of the blue and maybe wanting to try something a little bit different. It didn't quite work. I, I think it's a good yeah. song to finish. What overall for me, I mean, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to make it into my top five, to be honest, but uh, it would be in the, the top half, I think, of my my 15. Yeah, I think um, you're right. You know, like I said, it was a consistent album, but it wasn't anything that was just going to jump right up in front of me going absolutely flipping brilliant at all. But saying that, if they had included some of the, the extra tracks in the album, substituted them for, for some others, like the tracks that I, that I listened to in particular was Virus, which was a bonus track in Japan. And Salt in the Rainbow. Now, Salt in the Rainbow, I had forgotten how much I love this song. And it's actually still within my, my uh, rotation on my, on my uh, phone even now. It must just not come up very often. But I listened to that again. And I was like, damn, that is a fine song. And I think, you know, if like, so those had been included in the album, it could have easily been in my top five. I totally agree with you. I think Salt in the Rainbow is a great song. For me, that'd have been fine with my favourites on the album. The other one, Beautiful Colours, you had mentioned it earlier on in the podcast. I think that's another song which they could have easily put on the album and would have been one of the high points. I would give anything to be able to sit down with them and just go, why? Why did you choose this over that? But it's not always been kind of rumours or hints that they, you know, there was more songs to come from because there was such a, you know, that's 12 songs, but they had 30, that there was always talk of them bringing out something else from that period you know even talking around about the 40th anniversary before everything was knocked back by a couple of years because of the, the pandemic of maybe going back through their back catalogue and releasing some sort of anthology but we should include some of these songs that had never appeared in anything before which were they're in the ether so people have heard them it could very well be that their plans were scuppered i think 
it was a fairly lukewarm reception by the critics, but the fans obviously loved it. And, you know, I think it did really well in the charts. So um, maybe it was, maybe it just didn't quite hit the high enough numbers for their, their record label to, to warrant, you know, really pushing things and trying to develop those other songs. But hey, who knows, you know, if, if Future Past continues to, to keep them in fans' eye view and ear view, maybe we'll see something come of those. So um, to wrap up the, the album then, uh, kind of what are your overall thoughts to it all? I really, I mean, as I say, I think I, I like it more having re-listened to it recently than maybe I did at the time. I was excited at the time that the band reformed and I can't remember whether I was just underwhelmed or whether my expectations for what they might produce because, you know, for me, Rio is still, you know, my favourite albums because of when I heard it at the time and what a brilliant album it is. So it, because it wasn't a kind of Rio Mark II, it's taken me a while to maybe come round to it. But I think re-listening to it a few times, there's very few songs on it that I would... I would have really given the thumbs down to. So I think, as I say, I wouldn't, maybe about, I don't know, maybe about seven or eight out of the 15, maybe, I think. Yeah, that's a pretty good rating, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I um, I had kind of my my doubts about the album just because I didn't want to attribute it to being, you know, the 12-year-old Molly reliving her, her teenage years and just loving it because it was Duran Duran. I think maybe there was a, a certain element of that to start off with but I think it's it's a good album I think um you know I I can't complain I wouldn't say that it's no it it uh, doesn't show Duran Duran in, in a very good light because I think it was great it was fantastic that it brought them back all together again and I think like one of the the Twitter comments mentioned that uh you know it brought Duran Duran to a lot of new fans to Duran Duran and I think that's you know that's slowly continued throughout the 2000s and then with a future past, then hopefully they'll, they'll have even more new fans. For me, that's the key that it brought them all back together again. And even though Andy didn't stay, the really positive thing from Astronaut is that the other four, Simon, Nick, John and Roger, obviously realised that what they could do together was much better than anything they tried to do individually. And I mentioned right at the very start, we've, we've reaped the benefits of that over the last 15 years or so. And, you know, we say it probably once or twice in every podcast, the longevity of this band is proof that they are quality musicians, that they that they put out consistently great music. And uh, yeah, there's a reason why they're still around, even in 2021. Well, can I tell you that I, just last week in Glasgow, talked about bands with a bit of longevity, I went to see the Human League. It's just 40 years since the Dare album came out, so they were touring the album. So the way they played it is they played a lot of their other hits in the early part and then they played the entirety of uh, Dare in its order. I think there's nine tracks on it. And then they did another couple of songs in an encore. And it was a real blast from the past. I mean, that's suddenly you, you're back and you're like 14, 15 again. And it was a real trip down memory lane. What was interesting was they're very much a band that kind of pays tribute to themselves. They sound really good. The songs are great. They're of their time but they're not making new music, unlike Duran Duran. But that's fine, because you go there for a reason. Going to the concert, however, did almost cause a crisis in my marriage, because a few weeks beforehand, we'd gone to see Heaven 17 in Glasgow, which was great as well. So I said to Karen, if you had a choice to go to one concert between Human League and Heaven 17, who would it be? She said Human League, and I said Heaven 17, that's fine. Then I said, okay, if you had a choice between Human League and Duran Duran, who would it be? And she said Human League. And I thought, oh. 
So we've been married. Well, we've been married over thirty years. Do you know nothing about me? <laughs> so um, I'm still oh. I'm still processing that. To be honest, I'm not. It's been quite dramatic for me. Was she just trying to stir the pot, or was she being genuinely honest? If I say she was just stirring the pot, then that's fine. I can I can live with that. If she's been genuinely <laughs> honest, I'm I'm a bit worried. Oh bless! Oh dear! Well, that is quite troublesome. <laughs> Come on. It's always got to be Duran Duran. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. But but yeah, you know, you're making some really fine points tonight, Paul. Go you. <laughs> um, but the fact that that Duran Duran, they aren't resting on their laurels. They aren't just simply regurgitating their, their past albums. They're actually creating new stuff. I think that's amazing because, I mean, I guess it just proves that the well of creativity doesn't have to run dry, that it can just keep going on and on and on so and can i just tell you one final thing in terms of heaven 17 if anybody's listening they get the chance to go and see heaven 17 go they play all their own songs they're, they're great but they do a version i don't know if you remember the associates which who were a scottish band back in the 80s probably underrated really good scottish band singer billy mckenzie tragically died a few years ago but they had a song called party fears too heaven 17 who were friends with billy mckenzie do the most amazing emotional paired back version of that song which is just a piano and Glenn Gregory singing uh, brings tears to the eyes I think of everybody that's listened to it it's worth going to see them for that alone well you heard it here first folks go see Heaven 17 and just whilst we're talking about nostalgic acts and that sort of thing Tears for Fears have apparently put out a new album I've not heard it yet but um, I think that's getting good reviews and that's good to hear I always like Tears for Fears and it's nice to know that they're putting out new music I struggled with them a bit. I don't know if it's because I don't know if they weren't very likable. I thought they were quite, I think they were a bit full of themselves. I think they kind of, I just kind of got that sense of, I don't know, they were just a bit up themselves. So some of those early songs were good, but I I never stayed the course with them, to be honest. Well, we have totally gotten diverted. (laughs) Apologies. (laughs) But uh, we still have our top three to get through by uh, one of our friends, Chris, otherwise known as CK Shortell. Hey, Molly and Paul at Duran Duran Albums Podcast. Thanks for asking for this info. Uh, I'm Chris, a.k.a. CK Shortell on Twitter, the uh, Durani who hates the chauffeur. I would say my three favorite songs, the first one harkens back to when I became a Durani, which was as an 11-year-old in 1983 in Connecticut, where I still live in America, and I did not like Hungry Like the Wolf when it was on the radio, and, and I did not have MTV yet, so actually it was all on the radio. I loved the song Rio, but the song that really blew me away was Save a Prayer. And to this day, it's a song that obviously it's been overplayed by maybe by all of us, but there's a certain magic to it. Maybe it's nostalgia, but there's just a blend of guitar and synth, and there is a spirituality to it that even the band talks about. Uh, I, I just love the song. I know it's not about praying. I know it's about a one-night stand, but there is certainly a spiritual element to that song that I think it gets lost. And so uh, it's a beautiful song, and it reminds me of the summer, and lots of stuff. So Save a Prayer is in my top three Duran Duran songs. The next one is another song from a pivotal album, Notorious, and I'm going to go with the title track. I say pivotal because I feel like a lot of fans left at that point, and I didn't. And as my Twitter bio says, Duran Duran never broke up and I kept buying their albums. 
Notorious was the first album I bought in real time. The reason being, I did not have a tape player or a cassette player until 19, uh, the summer of 85. So actually, so Red the Rose was the first kind of Duranish thing I bought in real time. But as far as strictly Duran Duran, Notorious, uh, I binged the back catalog in 85 into 86, but then Notorious I got for Christmas. And I love the song. I love the funk. I love Nile, who will be, of course, is a pivotal part of Duran's history. And I just, uh, I just love that whole approach. I think I love the guitar. I love that album, frankly. I could have picked a lot of songs, but Notorious, I never tire of hearing it live. And I also love the fact that today, Notorious is kind of considered one of their classic hits. Like, it's lumped in with the earlier stuff, even though, if you remember at the time, it was certainly not. It was kind of like the way the new stuff is now. People were a little bit suspicious of it, but it was a big hit. So Notorious is the third one. This is impossible, and I could pick so many songs. Um, I could go with Top Trash Movie, which is my favorite 90s song. But I'm going to go with the Reunion Era song as my third one. It is based for today. Uh, maybe an odd choice. I don't know. But there's, again, lyrically, it works for me talking about mortality in today's culture. And uh, I just think the chorus is a classic Duran chorus. The live version has a lot more guitar, which I like. But even the studio version, I just think it's a gorgeous, beautiful song. And I love it. I loved it for five, well, how long? Six years since Paper Gods came out. Those are my top three. Sorry if I took too long. Thank you for the uh, chance to submit these. Great job on the podcast. So uh, thank you very much, Chris, for, for contributing your top three. And uh, we, we still have four more albums to get through yet, everybody. Well, three and then a rehash of future past again. But um, yeah, please do send in your top three. That top three takes me back to the very first episode that we did, because when we both chose our top three, and we've said this before, we both chose Save a Prayer, and then said, well, everybody's going to choose that. And I think Chris is the first person since then to have chosen Save a Prayer as one of his top three, which I was pleasantly surprised. So he's got a, he's a good taste. We were talking about people still being able to send in their top threes. I think we've got, I've got one or two. We've got a, a girl called Maria got in touch with us. She sent an email. She uh, stays in the south of uh, southern part of Argentina. And she stumbled upon the podcast. She's just a, a Duran, she's become a Duran Duran fan. I loves the band and, and, you know, is really enjoying the podcast. So it was brilliant to hear that we're, we're big in Argentina, uh, obviously. Uh, yeah, Fabiana's obviously been on the show. She's a, you know, a, a really brilliant supporter of the podcast and Maria's going to do she's going to record her top three as well for us so you'll hear that in a, in a future episode and uh, you can still email in to duranduran at com or just get in touch with us via twitter and that's at albums duran and as you were saying molly we we're coming to near the end of the, the podcasts but what the plan was that once everybody's had time to digest future past as well we'll maybe get people to choose their top five and we can have a chat with them about that and just because I think just even from the comments that we're getting all the time it's going to be fascinating to see how people rate the 15 albums in which order and some that somebody will choose in their top five you know Lindsay was a perfect example that in the last podcast Pop Trash is his top I'm not going to say he's going to be the only person that chooses that but I don't think there'll be many people but that's what I love that other people will choose albums so albums that I would I would have in my top five somebody may have them in my bottom five so that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. And um, I know that we talked about on the last podcast or the chat before or after it, 
Um, I'm heading over to LA next week. Woohoo, can't wait. But I've got a long flight ahead of me. So I've got all of the Duran Duran albums on Spotify in my library. So that is how I'm going to spend my time. And I'm going to listen from Duran Duran track one all the way through to future past last track, whatever it was. I can't even remember. And then I'll be able to do a, a proper overall view all at once of my top 15, my, my 15 tracks in order. And, and we're also planning to do a transatlantic podcast. We're going global. I'm so excited for this. So, so yes, we're going to going to try to calculate the, uh, the time differences and we're going to do the Red Carpet Massacre podcast through the wonders of the Tinterweb. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Well, listen, what we should say, actually, given the fact that this is going to be, we're going to, this podcast will be coming out just before Christmas. Obviously, it's a good time then to, I think, thank everybody for listening. And, you know, we're loving doing this, but I think for me, one of the, the great things is how much other people are enjoying it and how it's put us in touch with people all over the world to share this great love of Duran Duran. So thank them, but also wish everybody kind of happy, happy Christmas and obviously the current climate for everybody to, to stay safe as well and just keep listening to us and Duran Duran. Absolutely. Again, your finest point that you've made all night, Paul, but um, have a fantastic, <laughs> have a fantastic it's my it's my uh, It's my finest hour. <laughs> Absolutely. But have fantastic holidays, everybody. Please stay healthy. And um, thank you, thank you ever so much. We genuinely thought it was going to be the two of us sitting in our in our respective living rooms hashing over so, some albums that maybe was only going to be the pleasure for the pleasure of our immediate families but i've been blown away by the people contributing every week um you know almost daily there, there's twitter comments coming through to us and and just please keep it coming and so grateful for you guys to for, for listening to us and you know what an awesome band that has brought us all together to do all this sort of stuff. So thank you, thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us, that will help other Duranis to find us. And of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better. You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Albums Duran or email us at durandoran at paulcudahy.com. Join us next time on the podcast. And in the meantime, keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.